Today, indeed, is a special day in the life of our congregation. You've already experienced our graduates as they have come forward, and we have honored and recognized them and their families. And we also have acknowledged that today's worship is characterized by the Holy Trinity. It's Trinity Sunday as the church understands who God is and how God has revealed himself to us. It's a day that the church has set aside that we can pause and acknowledge the three persons of God as we've already sung, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The Trinity is not a, an easy concept, but I'll try my best to share some things with you today that maybe will be helpful to you, especially as you teach your students about the fullness of God. The Trinity begins with the three letters T-R-I. Tri means three, just as a tricycle has three wheels, or just as a triangle has three sides, or a tripod has three legs. God has revealed himself to us in three persons of the Trinity. God as Father and Creator, God as Son and Savior, God as Holy Spirit and Sustainer, Friend, our power. Maybe you can think of it this way. I'm one person. My name's Bob Lee. I'm one person, one Bob, not two or three or four, one Bob. But I am Melanie's husband, so I'm known as her husband. They were at the early service. She and Isabella were. Uh, but Tuesday, we will have 25 years of marriage on June the 2nd. So we're so excited about this milestone in our lives. I'm, I'm her husband. I'm Isabella's daddy, so I'm known in that way. And I'm also known as your pastor. So one person known in several different ways. It might be a way that you can relate this to God. God as our creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the light and the darkness, the sea and the dry land, the plants and the animals, and you and me. God as the son Jesus, a special baby born in a stable, the one who cured people of their diseases, who taught people to love one another, who was crucified, died, and rose again to live in heaven. Jesus, our friend and our savior and our redeemer. And God, the Holy Spirit, the helper, Jesus sent to the disciples after he ascended to the Father in heaven. And as we shared last Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, Jesus told the disciples that they would be receiving power. It was the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost, they were able to speak in languages that they did not even know to reach people from the corners of the earth. The Holy Spirit who gives us guidance and strength and power to carry out the work of God in this world, showing his love and sharing his grace and forgiveness with others. All of these together, creator, sustainer, helper, creator, savior, helper, we understand as the Trinity. A way that Christians describe God in three different ways. In the passage you heard Sue read just a few moments ago from Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim, mystical winged creatures, they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The same words are reflected in the last words of that well-known hymn that we sung. Holy, holy, holy 
merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Today we'll look at this man named Isaiah who lived over 700 years ago, before 700 years before Jesus. He was an ordinary person just like you and me. And God called him for a special assignment. He would be a prophet, one who would speak for God. And his story in the Bible shows us a pattern for worship, a pattern that you and I can use in our own individual lives and many churches as well to glorify God, to worship God, to, to, to magnify God's name. In a minute, we'll get back to Isaiah. And uh, first, I'd like to talk a little bit about worship, because if Isaiah gives us a pattern for worship, then we need to know, well, what, what worship is. Often we miscommunicate or misunderstand worship. Sometimes we think it's a service or a certain time of day or the way that worship happens, like a style or something that I like or don't like. So let me illustrate with the Sunday comics. Last Sunday's Richmond Times Dispatch on the front of the comics is a strip called Tickles. And if you ever read Tickles, the dad's name is, well, the grandpa's name is Earl. His wife's name's Opal. They have a daughter named Sylvia, who's a single mom, and her son, Nelson, and a cat named Muffin. Well, Opal is sitting in her favorite rocking chair, and she's crocheting, and she says, she's humming, and then she says, I don't care for most modern music. I do like John Denver's songs, though, especially Annie's song. You fill up my fences. That's not how it goes, Mom, says Sylvia. It's you fill up my senses. Oh, no. Opal says it's you fill up my fences like when the snow piles up on the fence rails in winter. And then Earl's had enough, and he looks at the both of them and says, you're both wrong. It's you fill out my census. How often do we misunderstand what worship is? I imagine John Denver, if he were alive today, were, would be amused at people misunderstanding the lyrics to his song. And I wonder if God isn't amused at the way that we often misunderstand what worship is all about. Maybe we can understand worship a little better by saying what worship is not. Deborah Moore Clark, who's written a great little book called Oh Come, Let Us Bow Down and Worship, says worship's not preaching service. It's, it's more than a sermon. Worship's not church service or big church, as sometimes we refer it. It's not a substitute for Bible study. It's not a variety show. She says it's not entertainment. It's not a particular style of music or a certain time of day, or a schedule, and it's certainly not pastor worship. Churches have to be real careful not to elevate the pastor to such a place where the pastor is being worshipped. It is told that during the tenure of the great 19th century orator Henry Ward Beecher, that a visiting minister was there who happened to be Beecher's brother, uh, substituting for him in the pulpit, and a large audience had already gathered to hear Beecher, 
And when they saw that the substitute preacher was there, a number of them started to get up and walk out of the room. He paused, the substitute preacher did, and said loudly, All who have come here to worship Henry Ward Beecher, you may exit the room, but all who have come to worship God, you may remain in your seats. We are not to worship anyone else other than the living God who's revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If worship's not these things, then what is worship? Worship's pretty simple, actually. It comes from, and the word comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, worship, where we derive our English worship. And it means one who is worthy of reverence and honor. Worship means one who is worthy of reverence and honor. For example, in Revelation chapter 5, John records these words. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy, you hear the word, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is within them say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders bowed down and they worshipped. Not only is worship something to be described, to describe God, but worship is an action that we take. It is said that worship is the work of the people. It's the work of the people. It's true drama, as the the philosopher and theologian Kierkegaard describes it. We are the actors, and God is the audience. So many times we get it mixed up, and we think that God is the actor, and we're the audience, and we're just here to take in whatever God does or says. But we are the actors. God has called us to be about his work, and that work is is, is worship. It's a lifestyle that we live. God is our faithful audience as we work and serve as the actors in the great drama called life. And our actions as worshipers rooted in the Greek word liturgia. Liturgia means the work of the people. And you see in that as you look at it, the word liturgy. Liturgy is not just something that's an order on a piece of paper or a reading from a prayer book. Liturgy is the work of the people. It's that which we are called to do as we respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Worship is both individual and it's corporate. What we'll learn from Isaiah we can apply as individuals in our prayer closets and also as a congregation as we gather for corporate worship. Deborah Moore Clark says worship is Monday's response to Sunday's experience. I love that Monday's response to Sunday's experience that we take it to school, take it our worship to work and to our neighborhoods, into our homes as we serve God throughout the week. It's our response to what we experience on Sunday. But have you ever asked the question why we worship? Why do we gather for worship? Why is it important that we do that? Because God expects us to worship. We worship because Jesus worshiped. He set an example that we do likewise. And we worship 
because the Bible tells us so. We worship to maintain our proper relationship with the triune God. We worship because we're prone to wander. I don't know about you, but I need church. I need to gather corporately here in this place. As as I wander throughout the week, it pulls me back. God speaks to me and God keeps me centered. It helps me to frame out my priorities as I leave this place and I go back into the work and world of the week. We get distracted. Our minds wander. And we need that which pulls us back. It's like that little uh, boy story I, I read. He had attended worship on Sunday morning. And Sunday evening, he was kneeling by his bedside saying his evening prayers. And, and he prayed this. Dear God, we sure had a good time at church today. I wish you'd have been there. Many of us, we live life wishing God were there. We get distracted, we wander, or we face things that cause us to doubt God or to struggle with our faith. And worship helps to bring us back to center. If you're like that little boy, please know that God is here and that God is with you in this place and everywhere you go. Often, rather, it is God saying to us, I wish you were here. Not only physically in corporate worship, but also spiritually giving God our attention every day of the week. And this is not a guilt trip message. I need it just as much anybody else does to understand why worship is important. And Isaiah, as we see his experience there in the temple with God, we'll see this way that we can frame out our worship and make it perhaps even more relevant to our life experience. Worship brings us back into a right relationship with God and others. So when Isaiah encountered, encountered God in the temple, his response models some elements of genuine, authentic worship of God. And if you're taking notes, perhaps you can jot these down in your sermon notes section in the bulletin and use those as you worship privately and as you worship corporately. The first thing we see Isaiah do is praise God. Verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah writes, high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And then he sees the, the seraphim who were flying around. They covered their eyes and they covered their feet because God was so holy that they couldn't bear to, to look. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled of his glory. They were praising God. And Isaiah records this and helps us to understand the importance of gathering to praise God for who God is. He is holy, holy, holy. Something said three times in the Hebrew is something that we need to magnify and multiply. And then next, what happens with Isaiah is he is in the presence of a holy God and he feels so unworthy. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel that way. 
when I have strayed outside the boundaries, miscolored uh, outside the lines, fallen short of the expectations that God has for me, then I, I feel unworthy. And Isaiah cried, Woe to me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in the presence of a holy God, and I'm not worthy. The next thing we see, the element of worship we draw from the passage, is God's forgiveness. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah writes, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You're forgiven. Your guilt is taken away. And if you have this image of the seraphim taking the coal from the altar, that would have been the altar of incense in the holy place. You see, the high priest would have taken the ashes from the brazen altar out in the courtyard of the temple and brought them in and mixed them up with incense in the holy place. And the smoke would have emanated from that, filling the room symbolizing the prayers of the people and the presence of God and also the forgiveness that's afforded by God and the atonement making one right with God because of the sacrifice that had been altered, uh, offered on the altar. And we as Christians understand that as Jesus Christ died for our sins, he is our atoning sacrifice that makes us one with God, reconciled to God. And it is, it is this act of grace through God, that the seraphim comes and touches Isaiah's unclean lips and purifies him or cleanses him of his sin and makes him right with God and then puts Isaiah in a position to receive his calling from God with a clear mind and a clear heart. That's the next element of worship that we see revealed to us in the text in verse 8a. After the confession of Isaiah and the forgiveness that he receives happens in verse 8, Isaiah then says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And the pronoun plural us helps us to see the God revealed in the triune way. God, Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? There's this calling. You and I all have a calling. In fact, we have two primary callings. One is to discipleship and another is to service. God desires that every one of us have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We are called to be followers of Jesus, called to be his disciples. And then out of discipleship, we are called to serve. We are given a commission to serve. So God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah steps up in verse 8b and says, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. This is our commitment that we make to God. And then there's a commissioning, another act of worship or element of worship where God says to him, go. Go and tell. See, Isaiah was given a difficult task. This was during the time of the Assyrian domination, and Judah had been spared, but God was given Isaiah a command to speak to the people 
in Judah because there would be a time when the Babylonians would come and take Jerusalem and the people of Israel would be in bondage and would be enslaved and go into captivity. And God gave Isaiah a charge to share that difficult news with the people. God says, go and tell, go and tell. That's the commissioning. You and I receive a commission. Go, therefore, and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we are to teach them everything that Jesus commanded us. We have a commission. I don't know about you, though, but sometimes I wonder, well, God, uh, how long is this deal going to last? How long am I supposed to do this thing? And Isaiah was no different than us. After God says that in verse 11, Isaiah says, um, and I could just imagine him asking God this. Like, for, for how long, Lord? How long is this supposed to last? How long is my commitment? And in verse 11, second part, God answers, until. Until. And then he describes some of the difficulties that would come about the people. And we know in other places in Scripture, God speaks of the redemption that will take place. God would redeem that negative situation and bring the people out of captivity. In Jeremiah, I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But right now, until. Sometimes our assignments are pretty clear. Sometimes they're not. And we've got to search and live out that calling. Sometimes we don't know how long it might be and we have to trust God in that situation. There's a movie that some of you may have seen called Letters to God. It's a a movie about a little boy who had a serious illness who wrote letters to God and put them in his mailbox. And in the movie, the mailman's name's Brady. And Brady has been collecting these letters from the little boy's mailbox and he banded them together and held on to them because he didn't know what to do with them. Well, one day, Brady decided that maybe he needed to go to God's house and just drop the letters off because they were addressed to God after all. So he goes into the sanctuary of the local church, and he drops the letters off, and he turns around to walk away, and then he's interrupted by the preacher who asks him if he needs some help. So let's watch this clip as we try to focus on the mission that God has for us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A little warning next time. 
Sir. Mr. Reverend. Please call me Andy. Andy. Sure. And you are? Uh, um, uh, Brady. And I, I was just dropping those off. I wasn't stealing or something, I swear. I'm sorry, bad choice of words. I, I, I just I just came in because it's just that I think this, this sick kid on my route is, is writing these letters to God. And, and I thought you could at least read them, send them a uh, gift basket or something. Very kind of you, going out of your way to make sure that Tyler's letters are protected. You know him? Oh, yes. Yeah. We love that family. They've been members here for quite a while. With all that's happened, it's been difficult for them. But we certainly keep them in our prayers and check on them often. You know... It seems to me that God put these letters in your hands for a reason. So maybe you should hold on to them. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't know what to do with them. I, uh... Well, first thing you're going to do is go home and sleep it off. And then listen to God. Let God tell you what to do with them. After all, they are written to him. You know, you're always welcome here. It's a great place to find answers. Hey, can I, uh, can I pray for you? No, no, really. I'm good. It's not necessary. It's, uh, I, um... it's what I do. Thank you, Lord, for Brady. Thank you for making him caretaker of these letters. And for his heart. Your plans are always good. Lord, I believe you have a plan and a purpose in this. Help Brady discover that plan because, Lord, I know you're about to do something wonderful. Something more wonderful than we can possibly imagine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, sir, how's it feel to be on a mission for God? <laughs> God has a mission for every one of us. Some of you are already believers in Jesus Christ, and you know what your mission is, and you're serving in that way. Others of you are believers, and maybe you're not sure what that mission is. Maybe it's a time for you to be praying specifically to God to reveal that mission to you, because every one of us has a mission. But there are others of you who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ, and there's a call that God has on your life to follow Jesus, and then he'll reveal a mission to you, to follow Jesus, and then to serve in that mission. 
During our invitation song, we're going to sing, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And as we're singing, I would invite you to respond to God's leadership. Maybe it's the call to discipleship to follow Jesus for the very first time and to surrender your life to baptism and to a life of serving God in his church. Or maybe you would respond in such a way that you would come and share uh, or need prayer for discernment on what that mission is as a believer. However God is leading, that you would respond today. I'll be at the front as well as our other pastors today. As we stand and sing, I stand in the presence, amazed at Jesus, the Nazarene. Let's stand as we sing. in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean oh marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous the go- 